Amen. Amen. As we get ready for the Word of God today, I want to admire you guys and applaud you guys today because today, I think today is such a day with the rain that we have. I'm sure a lot of you woke up and said, it's just one Sunday, Lord. It's okay if I miss one Sunday. And I know some of you thought that because I thought that this Sunday. But then I remembered I was the pastor. So I'm here with you, and I'm so glad that you guys are here today as well. So I want to thank you all for being here. In reverence to the Word of God, as we remain standing, let's go to Exodus chapter 8, verse 20. Exodus chapter 8, verse 20. Then the Lord told Moses, Get up early in the morning, Stand in Pharaoh's way as he goes down to the river and say to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they can worship me. If you refuse, then I will send a swarm of flies on you. Your officials and your people and to all the houses the Egyptian homes will be filled with flies and the ground will be covered with them. But this time, everyone shout, this time. All right. Now this time, God says, I will spare the region of Goshen where my people live. No flies, shout, no flies. No flies will be found there. And then you will know that I am the Lord and that I am present even in the heart of your land. I will make a clear distinction between my people and your people. This miraculous sign will happen tomorrow. And the Lord did just as he said. A thick swarm of flies filled Pharaoh's palace and his houses of his officials. The whole land of Egypt was thrown into chaos by the flies. Amen. The title of today's message it's probably a title that's going to bring you way back if you're older. You ready? See if you can finish the sentence. Shoe fly. <laughs> Thank you, Jay. One more time. Shoe fly. You remember that? That was a great song. And it's the title of today's message. Shoe fly. Don't bother. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would help me to preach this word. Encourage our hearts today. Give us wisdom and understanding. As we've come here today to worship, to reflect on you and your word, I pray that we would leave church this morning refreshed, strengthened, renewed. And if anyone's going through problems in life that feels like flies, Help us to remember today we don't have to be bothered. In Jesus' name, amen. And you guys can have a seat. 
to get into this word today. The Israelites were God's chosen people. Think about that. The Israelites were God's chosen people. And God loved them. And God had a plan for them. God had a future for them. And he had a desire to bless them with what's called the promised land. The promised land was a very fertile land. That's why it's called the, the land of milk and honey. Not because there was honey and milk everywhere. But it was a sign, a symbolism that the land was fertile. The promised land represented better. It represented God saying, I have more for you. And in the book of Genesis, Genesis, which means beginning. So in the beginning, God would tell Abraham, I'm going to bless the people of Israel. And someday, you're not going to see it now, Abram, but someday my people are going to grow. My people are going to be a nation. And my people are going to be blessed. And when everyone sees my people, they're going to know that I am God. And it's so exciting because in the book of Genesis, you see how God is making this great vow and great promise to Abram that things are going to get better and they're going to be blessed. But when you turn to the book of Exodus, what you see is that those people that God said would be blessed. Those people that God said would be numerous. Well, those people are in bondage now to slavery. They're in Egypt for 400 plus years. They're struggling. And it doesn't look like there's much of a promise around. It doesn't look like God is really going to do anything. And for 400 plus years, they were struggling. God was silent. And they were hurting. But see, the Israelites didn't know that even though they were in bondage to slavery in Egypt, and even though life was hard, the Israelites didn't notice that they were actually getting bigger and stronger. They were becoming more and more numerous. So much so that even Pharaoh was afraid of them. And even Pharaoh tried to kill the firstborn sons because they were picking up on the fact that these people of God are actually growing. And the more we oppress them, and the more we put burdens on them, and the more they struggle, the more they grow, and the more numerous they become, and the more powerful they are. And see, that is the picture of what it should look like as a child of God. That no matter what life throws at us, no matter what struggles we go through, we come out getting stronger and better and more powerful because God is a God that says, my word will not fail. And when God told them, you will become numerous, I don't care what you go through, what people do to you, what bondage you're under, my word will always prevail over your circumstances. So ironically, the God that said in Genesis, you will become numerous in the book of Exodus through the bondage and the pain of Egypt, we see them becoming numerous. They're becoming stronger. They're getting better. Because God was preparing them for the very promised land that he told them they would live in. 
God was preparing them for something greater. You see, but the Israelites couldn't see it. The Israelites, all they would focus on was the problems that they had with Pharaoh. All they would see is the bondage and the slavery and the hard work and the labor and all they would see was their struggle. And I wonder this morning, how many of you, it seems like all you see, you say, Pastor, I hear a lot about the promises of God. And I hear a lot about His blessings and His goodness But when I look at my life, all I see is not the promises of God being fulfilled. All I see is struggle. All I see is hardship. All I see is burden. And it doesn't seem like God is doing anything. That's exactly what the Israelites felt. Because even though they knew and were told of a promised land by God, All they saw was hardship and struggle. But God had a plan. And it might seem like God is silent in your life. And it may appear like God has forgotten about you. Or even that God has favorites and everyone else around you is blessed. And everyone else around you, their lives are easy. But when it comes to your life, it feels like God has abandoned you. Like God has forgotten you then I want to read this passage because this is exactly what Paul was going through. In the book of 2 Corinthians 1.8, I want you to notice what he says here. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed. He's talking to a church in Corinth. And Paul is telling a church, just like us, he's telling them this through a letter. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships, say that with me, hardships, the hardships we suffered. You see, Paul was a man of God. Paul was a strong believer. But Paul was honest in the church. And that's why I love Paul. Because in church, we want to pretend that we're strong. In church, we want to pretend that everything's fine. In church, there's a temptation to appear as though everything in your life is easy. But see, even Paul, when he's writing to a church, he is downright raw and honest. And he says, I don't want you to be uninformed. We went through hardships. We suffered in the province of Asia. Even Paul said, We were under great pressure. How many of you can relate to pressure in your life right now? There's the pressure to live a peaceful life. There's pressure in your marriage. There's pressure to raise your kids. There's pressure to pay the bills. There's pressure all around us at work. There's pressure from people. Paul was so honest. He said, not only did we go through hardships, but I had a lot of pressure. Far beyond our ability to endure. See, Paul gets so real, he says, I went through such hardship, I could not even endure it. So that we even despaired at life. And Paul gets real honest, he says, even when it comes to life, I despaired. I was discouraged. I was depressed. I was weary. 
I was going through. But notice what he says next. Verse 17. But I want you to notice something. In 2 Corinthians 4.17, Paul tells this to the same exact church. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now let's pause here for a second because Paul just finished writing to this church that life was hard. That he had hardships. He had pressure. He couldn't endure. In fact, Paul says, I felt like there was a death sentence. I thought it was over. And the same Paul that says life is hard and life has pressure and life has trouble is the same Paul that is now telling these believers in the church that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that outweighs everything. What is Paul trying to say? That even though you're a Christian, and even though you're walking with the Lord, and even though you're a part of a church right now like you are, your life is going to have hardships. And even when life gets hard, you don't have to ask God, why am I going through this? God, this doesn't make sense. Of course it makes sense, because life is hard, amen? Life is hard. But yet we sit around like, why is this happening to me? Because you're alive and life is hard. And St. Paul says, not only is life hard, you're going to have pressure, you're going to have trouble, you're going to have weariness, you're going to be despairing in life. But then that same Paul tells the church, but I promise you this, your trouble is light. But see, some of you here might say, well, pastor, I don't know about that. Because my troubles are pretty heavy. And the last thing I feel about my trouble is that it is light. The word light in the Greek literally means simple or small. And I know some of you right now, you're going through trouble that is not small in the eyes of you. But Paul says, I want you to see your trouble as light. And not only do I want to see your trouble as light, Paul says, I want you to see your troubles as momentary. Momentary? See, the last thing we think about in our hardships, in our struggle and trouble is that it's small and it's easy and it's just a moment. It's just momentary. In fact, if we are honest in the church today, we can say, Pastor, I feel like my problems are huge and massive and I can't handle it and they're heavy. They're not right. They weigh me down with pressure and I don't know what I'm going to do. And if we want to talk timeline, I don't feel like my trouble is just a momentary thing. It feels like I'm going to go through this forever and it's never going to change and it's never going to end and it's never going to get better and this is it. From here on out, I'm going to live with this. And the last thing on our mind when it comes to our trouble and struggle is that it is light and it is momentary. But Paul was able to say that his troubles were light and momentary because in the eyes of God, no problem is too big for him. And God said that every trouble you go through is just 
momentary. The devil lies to you and tells you it's forever. The devil lies to you and says it's never going to change. And I'm sure that the Israelites, as they're going through bondage for 400 years, they felt like it was not momentary. That this was never going to change. Because generation after generation after generation after generation were in Egypt in bondage to slavery. And it looked like it was never going to change. And if I want to be honest here, sometimes I look at my life and I look at some of your lives and I think, man, this is not a moment thing. This is going to be forever. But I want you to learn something when life gets hard. I want to teach you this. You guys ready? This will help you when life is crazy. This will help you when people are crazy and making your life crazy. This will help you when you're angry. This will help you when you're discouraged. This will help you when you want to cry and scream under your pillow. This will help you when you're mad at God. Ready? Learn this inside yourself. It's just a moment. That's it. It's just a moment. It's not forever. It's just a moment. That has helped me get through a lot of things in my own life. It's just a moment. And think about how many problems in your life in our past you thought were forever, but now you realize it's in the past. You went through it. It's over. It was just a moment. I look at River, and he's two years old, and it's like crazy. They call it the terrible twos. And I see Frankie sometimes, she looks so tired. And weary. And I look at mom sometimes when I FaceTime her and she's, she looks tired and weary. But it's just a moment. They grow. Amen. They get out of it. Only to become teenagers and the same child that says, mommy, mommy, I need you says, mommy, mommy, I hate you. And wants nothing to do with you. Parents, say it. It's just a moment. I'll kick him out soon. No, I'm kidding. It's just a moment. Your husband's acting a fool. You married him in that moment. You're stuck. Your boss is giving you problems. People are giving you problems. Just say, it's just a moment. Here's my personal favorite. I think all of us in the church need. Someone cuts you off in traffic. You get so angry because you already are driving frustrated. But if you would just say, it's just a moment. That's going to pass. You might not even lose your testimony. See, a lot of us, we get stuck in the moment. And we tell ourselves, I can't get through it. I, it's too hard. It's too difficult. We're never going to get through this. But see, in the eyes of God, 400 plus years in Egypt, in bondage to Pharaoh and slavery, 
was just a moment. And it was light for God. Because God had so much more for them. You see, what we have to understand today as a church is that you cannot allow your moments to defy your entire life. You cannot allow a bad moment to dictate what God is going to do in your life. You cannot allow a moment of failure, a moment of sin, a moment of weakness to dictate how God's going to treat you. You cannot be defined by a moment. But so many people are struggling because of a moment that they're going through. It's a temporary season, but they think it's forever. And when you look at the people of Israel in bondage for 400 years, it was just a moment in comparison to what God was going to do for their future. And that's why Paul said, our light and momentary troubles are achieving a glorious outcome that far weighs everything else. You see, what Paul is saying here is even though you're going through trouble, in the eyes of God, it is small and it is a momentary thing and in comparison to what God is getting ready to do. That's why when you're going through a moment and you're struggling and you're angry and you're discouraged and you're upset, don't be defined by that moment, but just remember that it's just a moment, but God is still in control. God is still working. And God is still sovereign. In fact, when you feel like having an attitude and getting angry and say, oh, what's wrong? Just tell him, I'm just having a moment. I'm just having a moment. And these Israelites, their life was hard. They were going through trouble. And as I read the story of the Israelites this week, I learned something I never saw in the the Bible. But we know that when God was getting ready to set them free, He sent a few plagues to Egypt. And what's interesting is that as God was getting ready to deliver them, and God was getting ready to prepare them for the promised land. And God was getting ready to set them free and do something amazing and a miracle. God would send some plagues. But many people think that when it came to the plagues, if you read it in the Bible, I challenge you to do it. When you read the Bible, you're going to see that God sent these plagues. And the first three plagues, He turned the Nile River into blood. He sent gnats. And he sent frogs all over the land. But see, many people think that the only people that were affected by the bloody river, the gnats, and the frogs were the Egyptians. That somehow the Israelites were spared from that. But see, when you read the Bible, what you really find is that God said, I'm going to turn the river into blood. I'm going to send gnats and I'm going to send frogs to the entire land of Egypt. And where were the Israelites, church? In Egypt. And the fact that the Bible says, I'm sending these plagues to the entire land of Egypt meant 
that those Israelites experienced and felt the same plagues that were hitting the Egyptians. Those Israelites, it was their water too that turned to blood. It was the gnats that were bothering them too. And the frogs were in their house as well. Why would God even do such a thing? I thought God loved them. I thought God had a plan for them. I thought God had a promised land for them. But see, God actually sent the river to be turned to blood. He sent gnats to fly around. And He sent frogs to all the houses. Can you imagine living your life that way? That you step out outside and the the water is bloody and there's gnats everywhere and frogs are all over your house. How many of you would really think and say, wow, God is good. God's amazing. Look at God working in our behalf. Look at how good the Lord is. No. They couldn't understand why the plagues that were plaguing Egypt and the Egyptians were also plaguing them. They were also affected by those three plagues. You see, God is teaching us a powerful principle that all of us need to understand. That even though you're a child of God, even though God loves you and God has a plan for your life, you will be plagued by the same problems the ungodly in the world has. You are not exempt from problems. You are not exempt from crisis. You are not exempt from hardship. And see, everyone seems to think that God drew a line and said, no, none of these plagues are going to touch my children. But the first three plagues touched them. Where they had no water and had gnats everywhere and frogs all over their home. Because God was teaching them what He's teaching us. You may be a child of mine, but you will suffer the same things the world does. You will have the same plague that plagues the ungodly. See, Christians, they get plagued with cancer just like the ungodly do. And we have women in our church. We have my mom, we have Barbara, and other people that are being plagued with cancer and have been plagued with cancer, and had that moment of cancer in their life, just like everyone else. And my mom tells me, as she sat down to have chemo, she would sit down with other women. Some were believers, some were not. Why? Because we as children of God will be plagued with the same problems the world does. The ungodly struggle in their marriage, just like Christians struggle in their marriage. The ungodly, they have problems with rebellious kids, just like a child of God will have a problem with a rebellious child. The ungodly have financial problems. Just like a child of God will be plagued with financial problems. Inflation affects everyone. There is no Christian that say, well, inflation hasn't affected us because we are Christian. Amen. No. we got to go to the grocery stores and pay the same price the ungodly do. we got to pay the same high gas prices the ungodly do. 
The ungodly go and are plagued with depression, and many Christians go through moments of depression. We have to get real about this. The ungodly get, they lose people and loved ones, and Christians lose loved ones. And yet we ask God, why? Why is this happening to me? Lord, I love you. Lord, I serve you. Lord, I am your child. And you plague me with this? Yes. Because being a child of God does not mean that you are exempt from trouble. And the Israelites would learn this as the first three plagues affected them as well. Think about this. For 400 plus years, they're praying to God and saying, Lord, deliver us. After 400 years, that generation said, we've had enough of this. Let's all pray for God to deliver us. And the Bible says God heard their prayer and heard their cry. But Pharaoh made their workload harder. Does it ever feel like you're praying for God to do something better, but life gets harder? Am I the only one? They prayed and believed that God can do a miracle and change their life. And some of you, you're praying for a miracle and you're praying that God will do it for you. And as you pray in faith and you're following the Lord, you think things are going to change and yet things get harder. And then Moses shows up and says, guys, guys, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. It's just a momentary thing. God's going to deliver us and he's going to send us to the promised land. And I know for a moment they felt encouraged. For a moment they said, okay, we can do this, guys. I know it's hard and things got harder, but we believe that God is going to do it and we're going to go to the promised land and God's getting ready to do it. And as they're waiting for that delivery call, you know what happens? The water turns to blood. And as they're, well, okay, okay, we're going through the bloody water right now. We can't drink. We need water for work. But things are bad right now. We're in a dry season. We can't even drink water because God will send dry seasons to your life. And as they kept waiting on God, it's okay, God, God's going to do things better. God, God, this has to be it. And then God sends gnats all around to the people of God. All day while they're working. Does it look like God is doing something? No, it looks like he's done nothing. But they say, okay, God, this time I know things are going to get better as the gnats went away and the the blood went away. And instead of God delivering them, he sends them frogs. Now, I don't know about you, but the sight of one frog freaks me out. I think about Jerica. Jerica sees a, she saw a beetle in the house and she screamed like it was murder. 
I can't imagine if one frog gets in our house. Now imagine, church, you're believing for a promised land. But there are frogs everywhere. The Bible says there was not one place where a frog was not found. Let's, let's, let's really get creeped out here. There's frogs in your shower. Frogs in your toilet. Frogs under your cover. You open up the, Calvin, the pantry. Frogs are falling everywhere. Frogs are outside. Frogs are inside. You're trying to fall asleep. There's a frog on you. How many will say, wow, God, thank you. This is great. Hallelujah. But see, the Israelites went through those three plagues and couldn't understand why. Life got harder. Can we be honest today in church? Sometimes God looks mean. God looks like he's just being mean to you. God looks like he's just being unfair to you. Sometimes it feels like your prayers aren't being heard. They pray to God, send us a deliverer. God says, no, nah, I'm going to send you frogs instead. They pray for the Lord to make their situation better. Sometimes it feels like your situations are getting harder. It feels like God's against you. It feels like nothing's changing. And I hear of the promises. I hear Moses telling me there's a promise. But all I see is blood, gnats, and frogs. And all I know is my work is getting harder, my life is getting more miserable, and nothing's changing. And ever since we started praying for deliverance, ever since we started praying for God to do a miracle, ever since we tried to say, God, do something better in our lives, it feels like life turned around and everything got worse. Can I get a witness this morning? And while we're plagued with the same problems as the world, as they were plagued with the same plagues of Egypt, the first three, there is a big difference. See, while we are plagued with the same problems of the world, we don't handle it like the world does. Because we as believers know that even though we get plagued with problems, our problems are in the hands of God. And we know that as Christians, our problems are light and momentary. They're light in the eyes of God. They're small in His eyes. They may be big in yours, but they're small in God's eyes. And we know that they're momentary because God is doing something good. We as believers, we get plagued with the same problem as the world. But we know and have a different perspective of it because we know that God works all things for good for those who love Him and those who are called to His purpose. We have a different outlook of our troubles because we know that God works on our behalf. That same God that allowed the plague in your life is the same God that says, I am with you, I'm not against you, I'm working for you. That same God that allowed the plague in your life is the God that says, nothing is impossible for me. 
The same God that allowed the plague in your life is the same God that says that he's able to do far more immeasurably more than we ask, think, or even imagine. So see, as a believer, as a child of God, though you get plagued with the same problems as the world, your outlook is different because our outlook and our troubles should be its light and its momentary, and I'm going to get out of this soon, and I'm going to come out better than before. I'm going to come out better than before. And that's how we should look at our problems. When it, does, when it feels like your prayers aren't being heard and life is getting harder and nothing is changing, it's not a time for you to feel discouraged and depressed and give up and hopeless and angry and complain and mope around and have a pity party. That's how the world acts. But you as a child of God says it is light and it is momentary and it is working for my life and God is God and He loves me. And if he has allowed this into my life, it is for a divine purpose. And they did not understand it at the moment. But that momentary plague that they were going through, God had a mighty purpose in. So you may be saying right now, well, pastor, it doesn't feel like God's going to get me out of this. But see, we as children of God will be plagued with the same problems as the world. I thought about a man in the Bible named Job. The Bible says that Job was a righteous man. There was no one more faithful than Job at that time. And Job was the richest in the land. Job was prosperous. He was powerful, influential. He you know, when we read the Bible, let me put it in modern terms. Job held a seat that today in our times we call the, the Supreme Court. So Job was like a Supreme Court justice that was like an Elon Musk, the richest in the world. And he contributed everything to God. And we read this and we get excited. Well, you mean to tell me is I, if I serve God, God's going to do that for me? But listen. In one moment, everything changed in Job's life. Job got sick. Church says the world gets sick. Job got sick. And couldn't understand why. And in one other moment, Job lost his all of his financial assets. His stock went under. His job went completely gone, destroyed. He was bankrupt. Church, does the world go bankrupt? So did Job. The Bible says the devil got to his children. And a huge storm came and killed them all. And in one moment, Job lost his children to the devil. And that might feel how you feel today. I am losing my children to the devil. And it feels like I've lost them. Church, does the world have children lost to the devil? And then Job's wife said, why don't you curse God and die? 
So right there, Job's marriage is shaky because if your wife wants you dead, don't look at me now, ladies, and say amen. Don't say that. But if your wife wants you dead, how many can say, yeah, we're going through a little tough, a little, a little, little tiff in our marriage right now? Church does the world have marital problems. So did Job. Job was a man that can relate because it says that he was sick. He had money problems. His children were gone. His marriage was struggling. And even his own friends accused him of doing something wrong. Why did his friends say, you must have done something wrong? Because we think that when bad things happen in our lives, it's because God is punishing us. But let me tell you that bad things happen in your life, yes, because of sinful consequences. But sometimes bad things happen in our lives because life is hard. And in this, Job said this in Job chapter 23, verse 10. Job said, but he knows where I am going. Notice what he says about God. God knows where I'm going. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what's going to happen in my life. I don't know why I'm going through this. But I know that I know that God knows where I'm going. And some of you here this morning, you don't know where you're going in life. And life has gotten under for you. And you don't know what's next, what God is doing. Let me give you encouragement this morning that even though you don't know, God knows. He is leading you. He knows where you're going. And He's leading you there. He knows where He's going and where He's taking you. God said through Job. Job said, He knows where I'm going. And when he has test me, notice what he said. I will, not might, not maybe, not if. He said, I will come out. You need to understand something, church. When you are a child of God, you will go through hardships. You will go through tests. You will know where you're going. But God says as a child of God, Job was able to declare, all I know is I will come out of this. And I don't know who needs to hear this right now because you're going through a momentary season of hardship, but you will come out of this. Come on, give God some praise today and wake up in this house. You will come out of this. It's not forever. It is light. It is momentary. And Job says, I will come out of this. But notice how he's going to come out. He didn't say, I'm going to come out discouraged. I'm going to come out depressed. I'm going to come out empty. I'm going to come out worthless. He says, I'm going to come out as pure as gold. See, when you test gold and put it through the fire, it comes out better and stronger and pure and more valuable. And it comes out better. Job said, I know it's hard right now. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what God is doing. But I know that I will come out of this and I'm going to come out of this better than before. That is the difference between us and the world. We get plagued with the same problem. But our outlook says, we will get out of this and we're going to get God to say, hey, you're going through this now but you're going to come out better. 
God says, I've allowed this in your life to make you better. But I know some of you, you're saying, well, pastor, how do I know I'm going to come out of this? I don't know if I'm going to come out of this. I don't know if things are going to change. I want to teach you something that I saw in the Bible that's going to help you if your life is going through a momentary trouble that feels eternal. That feels like it's never going to come out. That might be you this morning. Look at verse 22. The Israelites, they prayed and the water turned to blood. They prayed and gnats came to their land. They prayed and frogs entered their homes. They prayed and their workload got harder. Their prayers don't look answered. Their problems have gotten worse. God is silent. God is not showing anything. We know the truth. And we know that God was working all of that for their glory, for their good. But we, there at the moment, they did not see that. But let verse 22 bring you hope. When it came time for plague number four, God said this time, say it with me, this time. God said this time is going to be different. God said this time, I will spare the region of Goshen where my people live. No flies. Stay with me. No flies. So let's put it together. God said, I'm going to let the water turn to blood. It's going to be hard. It's going to be a dry season, but it's just for a moment. And once that's over with, I'm going to send you some gnats. And it's going to be difficult. It's going to be frustrating. Why? Because gnats do nothing but frustrate you. Amen? They do nothing but clog up your eyes. You get all fussy. You hate it. They don't hurt. It's not like mosquitoes. They don't itch. They just bother you. You're going to go through a season of frustration. But God said, it's just for a moment. And then you're going to, I'm going to send you the frogs. You know what's interesting? Frogs love to eat gnats and flies. But God did it backwards. He sent the frogs for last because sometimes it's going to feel like you're going backwards in your life. That's good teaching. But God says the frogs are temporary. It's just a moment. And God said, let's send them the flies. But this time, I'm drawing a line. And not a single fly, not one fly is going to touch my children. And I said to myself, your pastor was studying this hard. And I said, wait a minute. So you allow the water to turn to blood and affect them. You learn the gnats to get into their lives. You even allowed frogs to plague their homes. But when it came to flies, God said, nope, not a single fly is touching my children. 
And I said, Lord, that makes no sense to me. You allowed the water into blood, the gnats, and the frogs. But for some reason, when it came to flies, God said, no flies. Listen to me. When it came to the people of God, God declared a no-fly zone. Why would God declare a no-fly zone over the children of God? You guys ready to learn? God said no-fly zone over Goshen. I'm sure Moses was like, why? You allowed the water into blood, you allowed the gnats, you allowed them to be plagued with frogs, but now you're not going to let them go through the flies? The frogs are worse. The water into river, the blood is worse, but you're not going to let them go through flies? And God tells Moses, in my crazy imagination, Moses, Goshen is a no-fly zone. No-fly zone. Why? Because in Matthew chapter 12, verse 24, let's learn. You guys with me? Matthew 25, verse 4. The Pharisees heard about the miracles. They said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Now, the word Satan there in the Greek is the word Beelzebub. Beelzebub in the Latin literally means the Lord of flies. One of the names for Satan is the Lord of flies. Flies in the Bible represent Satan. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 1. As dead flies cause even a bottle of perfume to stink, so a little foolishness spoils great wisdom and honor. You know what also flies represent? Death and destruction. Let's put that together. Flies represent the devil, death, and destruction. The devil, the three Ds, the devil, death, destruction. Flies are not considered hope. Flies are not considered life. In fact, when you see flies, they swarm around dead things. When you see flies, they're attracted to filth. Flies do not represent God at all because God is life. But Satan represents death and destruction. He represents death and destruction and chaos. And see, that's why when God had an opportunity to send flies to everyone, just like he did the river of blood, just like he did the gnats, just like he did the frogs, when it came to flies, God declared a no-fly zone. Because he was letting his children know, life gets hard. You go through plagues. I know it looks like I'm not answering your prayers right now. I know it looks like the promises have failed. I know it looks like it's hopeless and it's over. And I know you're going through a hard time. But you're going to see that not a single fly is going to touch you because I want my children to know that my promises are alive and not dead and the devil can't touch them. The world will have the devil in his destruction, but a child of God will always stand against the devil. 
So you may go through sickness, you may go through hardship, you may go through financial problems, you may go through dry seasons, you may have the frogs, you can have the blood in the water, you can go through the gnats, but devil, don't you touch my children. And God declared a no-fly zone to let his children know it is not over for you, it is not hopeless for you, it is not dead for you. I'm getting ready to set you free. I'm getting ready to live my life into your promises. I'm getting ready to do a miracle. And God drew the line at the flies because he was letting the devil know they are not yours. And when I read that, I said, oh my gosh, God declared no fly zone. And I literally did this around the room. No fly zone. God hates flies. See, God is going to allow you to go through hardship. But God is not going to allow you to fail His promises. And God is letting you know, even though life is hard and my prayers feel like they haven't been answered, My plans and my dreams and my passions for you are not dead. That's why flies cannot swarm around a child of God because flies represent, they swarm around things that are stinky and dead. And in Jesus' name, your life don't stink. And your life isn't dead. So God told all the flies, this is a no-fly zone, flies. You go fly in Egypt because the world is dead. The world doesn't want me. The world is dead. The world out there is destructive. Satan has the world. Let the flies go to Egypt. But when it comes to Goshen, where my children are, he told the flies. You know how amazing it is that God can talk to flies? He says, don't you touch my children. That is why. I felt like our church needed this message today. Because some of you are going through prayers that feel like they're not being heard. You're going through hardships that the world is going through, but you think, I should be different. I'm a child of God. Why am I going through these plagues? What if God has declared a no-fly zone in your life and you don't even know it? Letting you know it's not over. It's not hopeless. It's not dead. I thought about when Lazarus died. For four days. But see, when Lazarus was sick, they went out and they told Jesus, come quick, come quick now because he's going to die. Come quick now. And some of you, you're asking God to do something quick and now because if not, it's over and hopeless. But Jesus purposely waited four days. And when he arrived, they said, had you been here sooner, we wouldn't have gone through this. And Jesus said, open up the tomb. And you know what they told Jesus? Lord, by now, the body is rotten. By now, it's going to stink. Some of you are telling God how much your life stinks. 
They're telling God, they're literally telling Jesus, Jesus, by now, there are flies in there. He's dead. It's over. And Jesus said, open the tomb now. Because what those people did not understand is that God had to clear a no-fly zone over Lazarus. So his body was not rotten. The flies were not there. Because when they opened the tomb, Lazarus came out because like Job said, I will come out. When I read this, I got on my knees. And I said, in Jesus' name, you hear me, devil. I said this in my office. I said, in Jesus' name, with tears down my face, Jericho doesn't even know I did this, but I got on my knees. And I said it loud. And I said, in Jesus' name, devil, I declare no flies in my life. In Jesus' name, devil, I am declaring a no-fly zone in our church. Did you know that this is a no-fly zone? Did you know that, church? But church, did you know that we have gone through plagues? There's one plague now. We've gone through plagues. The devil, that's the best the devil can do right now. I'm laughing at him. We've got just a moment, Jay. I love that. But see, we as a church, we as a church, we have been declared a no-fly zone by God. And I said, wait, if there's a no-fly zone in our church, we've gone through plagues, though. We've gone through hardship. I've questioned, God, are you here? Are you listening? Things are getting harder. But I had no idea till this week that forward fellowship is a no-fly zone and the devil can't bring us down. And I think to myself, how have, listen, church, let's praise God for a minute. We're signing another year lease in this church. One more year. And I look back and I say, how have we survived this long? It must be my preaching. No. It's because when God created Forward Fellowship Church, He said, this church is a no-fly zone. It's not going to die. It doesn't stink. Amen? There are some churches out there that stink, but let me tell you, this church at least, they don't stink. Say, this church don't stink. Church, I want you this morning to declare a no-fly zone in your life. As we close this morning, I want you to think of your life right now. You're going to go through the plagues. But God says one thing you're not going to go through is a fly. No fly zone. In Jesus' name, some of you have to declare a no-fly zone over your life. Because the devil has convinced you through all the pledges you've gone through and all the hardship that God has not answered your prayer, that God has abandoned you, that God is over. 
but God has declared a no-fly zone over your life. Some of you here today, you need to declare a no-fly zone over your children. The devil's trying to get them. The devil wants them away from church. The devil wants them in the world. But you have to pray at night when your kids are children. In Jesus' name, devil, there is a no-fly zone over my children. And in this home, we're going to serve God. In this home, we're going to go to church. In this home, we're going to read the Bible. Because devil, this is home is a no-fly zone. Declare a no-fly zone over your marriage. You may go through plagues. You may go through hardships. You may be like Job's wife and say, I wish he were dead sometime. But you're going to declare a no-fly zone over your marriage and say, honey, whatever happens, this marriage does not stink. This marriage will not die. You can count on me to be here. It's going to be hard. I'm going to annoy you like a little gnat. You're going to feel like you're kissing a frog sometimes. And it ain't going to be a prince either. But honey, baby, poppy, whatever you call him, say in Jesus' name, this marriage is a no-fly zone. Devil, you can't come here. And God drew the line at the flies because he drew a line at death. He drew a line where you wanted to give up and said, this is a no-fly zone because the devil won't win. He's going to finish what he started. And he's letting the children of Israel know, you went through the frogs, you went through the gnats, you went through the bloody river. But when those flies try to come and you are convinced it's dead and over, I'm going to declare a no-fly zone to let you know you're coming out of this. I'm going to finish what I started and you're going to be better off than before. Come on, shout it with me. No fly zone. Come on, stand up to your feet and say, no fly zone. You're going to make it. You're going to come out of this. Because there's a no fly zone in your life. And I want to pray over all of you today. Because when life gets hard and you get angry or you get upset or you get discouraged and the devil is saying it's over. That's it. God forgot about you. It's never going to change. It's hopeless. This is it forever. You got to say in Jesus' name, shoe fly, don't bother me. Shoe fly, don't even bother. That song, Shoe Fly, Don't Bother Me, I thought my teacher invented it. I really did. But that song was written in 1860. Yeah. 1860 by a name named Thomas Bishop. There's a picture of him here. Thomas Bishop was a songwriter. And during the Civil War, they gave him the charge of leading a large group of black men in battle in a time where racism was real. That was real racism. And everyone criticized him. Look at you. You're with the black kids. You're with the black guys. You're serving in the black war. And everyone brought him down. But one night out of his discouragement, he's a man of God. 
And he said, Lord, I don't know why you have me leading these black people. This is so unfair during the Civil War. And when they mocked him and they criticized him, Thomas made a song and he said, Shufi, don't bother me. Shufi, don't bother me. Shufi, don't bother me. For I belong to somebody. And when they came to criticize him, he would just say, Shufi. And when they made fun of him, he would say, Shufi. And that song stuck to everyone during that war. So much that even in 1869, sorry, in 1898, during the Spanish-American War, and there was yellow fever everywhere and dead bodies everywhere. And all the men, it was a hard time during this war. The soldiers would sing this song as they were going through the battle and they were going through the sickness. Can you imagine thousands of men in battle saying, Shufi, don't bother me. Shufi, don't bother me. For I belong to somebody. This song was sung during hard times. This song was hard, was sung during war. This song was sung during sickness and depression and discouragement. Why? Because Thomas wanted us to know that flies are going to try to come into your life, but you can shoo them away and shoo them away because you belong to somebody. And that someone that you belong to is God. You belong to God. That's why in verse 22 through 23, God said to his children, this is a no-fly zone, but this time I will spare the region of Goshen where my people live. No flies will be found there. They will know, notice, they will know that I am the Lord and I am present even in this land. Look at the next verse. I will make a clear distinction between the people and your people. God said, I'm going to make a clear distinction. You know why? God said, you're going to go through the same problem Egypt goes through. You're going to go through the bloody river. You're going to go through the gnats. You're going to go through the frogs. But this time, you're going to have a no-fly zone. Why? Because when the Egyptians go through the flies, and the devil is destroying their life. They're going to look at the children of God and say, wait a minute, why are they so peaceful? Why are they so joyful? Why are they so okay? And we're not. And they're going to know it's because you serve the Lord God Almighty. You see, there is a distinctive difference between a child of God and the world. We go through the same problems. Here's the difference though. We belong to God. And when you belong to God, He will take care of you. He will move you forward. He will finish what He started. When you belong to God, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to worry about. You should be different from the world. A child of God should not be walking around in depression, discouragement, moping around in pity, saying, life is hard. Life is horrible. I hate my life. I can't go on anymore. It's so unfair. You are a child of God. You better act like it. The world can act that way. The world can be hopeless because the flies are out there. But in this house, we serve God and it is a no-fly zone. Let's pray, church. 
With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray over you today. If there's a no-fly zone you want to declare today, you lift your hand up. Say to God right now in Jesus' name, I declare a no-fly zone and you tell him where. I declare a no-fly zone in my life. I declare a no-fly zone in my health. I declare a no-fly zone over my children and their bodies. I declare a no-fly no zone over my destiny. Come on, say it like you mean it in Jesus' name. Say it with me in Jesus' name. Devil, there is a no-fly zone. Tell him where, devil, you can't fly here. No-fly zone. In Jesus' name. Devil, you better shoot. And don't even bother me. Because I belong to God Almighty. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. There is a no-fly zone in our church. In Jesus' name, we declare a no-fly zone in our homes. Father, I pray that though the river turn to blood and the frogs come into our lives and the gnats frustrate us, we know that our lives, our plans given by you, our desires are not dead. That is why flies cannot swarm around us. And in Jesus' name, whatever dream you thought was over, declare a no-fly zone. It's alive. Whatever child you think is hopeless and lost, declare a no-fly zone over them. You're going to see them come back to church. Whatever fear you carry with you, declare a no-fly zone. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, in no other name, we declare a no-fly zone. And when life gets hard, because it will. And we are plagued by the same problems as the world. Father, help us to be reminded that we belong to you. Because sometimes it feels like we're in a war. We're in a battle. And we need to remember, Lord, that you have declared a no-fly zone. So, Father, help us to be distinctive, different from the world. So that when they see us, they know what it looks like to have you as their Savior. To have you as their protector. To have you as their provider. And, Father, the Israelites went through hard times, but they got out. Because there was a no-fly zone. To let them know you finished what you started. So Heavenly Father, in your own time, finish what you have started in the work of your children here at church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, give God some praise today. You guys can have a seat for a moment. I hope you guys were blessed by that service today, by that message today. Declare a no-fly zone. As you leave church today, you're going to get upset. You're going to get frustrated. Just learn to say it. It's just a moment. And if you get bothered by someone, just say, shoot fly. Devil, stop. Devil, stop trying to bother me. You're not going to win. Amen. You guys received this word today.